When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. Miracle Grow is simply the best. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It wasn't very long after, it was like a month or something after we had left college and had come home to my parents' house and I walked in the door and I remember them watching the news and they just turned and looked at me and my mom said, I don't know, something to the effect of something happened to one of your sorority sisters and I was like, what are you talking about? And then they just turned up the news and I mean, it was all over the place and it was, they were just describing what had happened, well, what they knew at that point and that they didn't know what happened or who did it. But the severity of the way that he beat her is unbelievable. I don't, I can't even fathom that kind of anger coming out of somebody. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm drinking a Corona. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter, drinking a rosé, and next to Billy Jensen, who is out of beer. <laughs> who has finished his Corona. <laughs> and he only brought two, so he doesn't get any more. And he only brought two, so now we're done. I'm just going to jump into the day then. Jump into the day. Happy Superman Day. And the reason why I bring up Superman out of all of these other days that are up there. There's some good days. If you watch the movie Hollywood Land, uh, there is much discussion of about whether George Reeves, the original Superman from the TV show, actually committed suicide. No, his name is George Reeves. He was the original Superman was from Christopher the TV Reeves show. Was Christopher also Superman? Yes. yes, he was. Is it his there son? Is, there is a... No. <laughs> what a coincidence is that? Yes, it, it is. It's, what a coincidence. What about Tom Welling? Love him. What about... Uh, who was the hot one with the glasses? Clark Kent? No. <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> no. The hot guy. Tom the, Welling. No. <laughs> he was before him. Do you know what I'm talking about? With the black hair. He had kind of like a... Brandon like a Ruth? full face... Fuck, he was so hot. Tom Welling. No. Oh, uh, Dean Kane. Dean Kane. Do you remember Dean Kane? Dean Kane, who wound up on a like a Law and Water SVU episode. <laughs> I really liked his face. He was a hot Superman. Yes, but um, Henry Cavill's hot too. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, George Reeves actually committed suicide. They there was some speculation that he was actually murdered. And if you watch the movie Hollywood Land, it's a very good movie. And um, do they it's talk very about similar his murder? To LA Confidential. Yes. Okay. Um, they, 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 they talk about whether it was a murder or a suicide or not. Yeah. The funniest thing about you, Billy, yeah. is you have such a soft voice. Yeah. And Jerry, our uh, producer, has to hey, Jerry. has to um, knock you up a bunch of right. a bunch of notches. Yeah. And yet you still have your microphone far away from your face every time. Right. And we have to tell you to move it closer like it's your first time podcasting <laughs> every week. Every, every week. Every single week. Right. But it's because I'm in a living room now and not in front of a... Because uh, it's I'm a... I'm short. You gotta... It's a hard world. You gotta have a soft voice and a soft side, which you can see of Billy Jensen <laughs> on here the on the first degree. degree. <laughs> That's right. And honestly, I sent this to our group chat this morning. There's a Rolling Stone article... Or Rolling Stone cover about Howard Stern, and it's the softer side of Howard Stern. And next up, it's going to be the softer side of Billy Jensen. That's right. I'm going to be holding rescue kittens. Are you ready for your cover? I am ready for my cover. Actually... There, I got interviewed by Rolling Stone. I don't know when the story's coming out, but yeah. Casual mention. Casual mention. Humble brag. Jump, just dropping that in there, but yes. That's fine. I got interviewed by like a local college, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Did you get in? <laughs> no. Um, nobody's interviewed me recently, but I do lots of other things. By the way, we all have full-time jobs and yeah. we, this, this podcast is a passion project for all of us. Mm-hmm. We enjoy it so much. Billy, not so sure. We, we have, he him. loves it. I love it. He loves this female energy. He does. Look I at do. him. He's blossoming. He's blossoming. having a, like a flower. <laughs> you do. This is your girl time. Yes, it is. This is my girl time. It's great. But can anyways, we t- can we talk so about the bachelorette attention. after this? Yes, we're going to have our bachelorette chat. Oh, yes. I'm not caught up. Um, yeah, Same. but anyways, but we're all stressed out this shit. <laughs> oh my God. But I had a pan, like a panic attack. I had a deep, deep anxiety spiral yesterday. I cried for 10 hours. It's a thing. It's it, okay. It's a thing. And you know what? We're we're going to have some therapy right now because we're going to talk. Because we're doing something. True crime. You know, passion projects help us. Uh, and, yes. And also because no matter how bad everything has gotten for us, we are telling stories that things hopefully are will never happen to us. Right. Yes. All right. So let's get into today's story. Okay. So up until June 18th, 2002... Allie Kemp was living the American dream. But one day, Allie went to work and she never came home. Allie was working a summer job at the Foxborough neighborhood swimming pool in the suburbs of Kansas City, Missouri. And essentially, this is the safest place in the world, but not for Allie Kemp. Allie Kemp was a 19-year-old student at Kansas State University where she was a member of Pi Beta Phi sorority. She was home from college on summer break and took a summer job at a community pool as a pool attendant. So in the early evening of June 18th, 2002, Allie's parents waited for their daughter to get home from her supper job as a pool attendant at a nearby neighborhood apartment complex pool. As it got later, Allie's parents started to become concerned because it was raining outside and few people would likely be swimming. So they're really wondering what could be holding her up. So at 5 p.m., Allie's brother, Tyler, who also worked at the pool, he goes down to the neighborhood uh, to relieve Allie and take over the shift. But when he gets there, there's no sign of her at all. But all of her stuff is still there. And her brother knew that she was hoping to get out of work early that day to get ready, ready for a date with her boyfriend. And that was the reason why her brother was there and was actually early so he could relieve her to get there on time. So there was really no reason for her to have been there. And and obviously, when her stuff is still there, that's just really strange. So he looks everywhere around the pool and within the proximity of the area. And he even checks out this maintenance room, this kind of pool room area where they kept uh, the pool's pump system and, and some equipment and things. There was no sign of her. Her brother then alerts their father, Roger and says, I I can't find Allie. And Roger comes down to the pool and looks for her daughter. And when Roger got there, he starts looking for Allie. He goes into that maintenance room again where the pump room is. And at 5.30 p.m., he makes a discovery that nightmares are made of. So what Roger saw was what appeared to be a leg protruding from under a tarp inside of this pump maintenance room. And to his horror, it was the leg of his daughter, Allie. And Allie was face down under this tarp pool cover, and she had been severely beaten. Her face was battered and bloodied. Her hair was matted with blood. And she was partially unclothed. She was wearing a sports bra. It had been pushed up. And there was a T-shirt wrapped really tightly around her neck. And Roger, her father, touched his daughter's back, and she was still warm. So he screamed for his son to call 911, and the paramedics were called immediately and arrived shortly after. So at the scene, there are signs of a struggle where she was found, and she was pronounced dead after being rushed to the St. Joseph Health Center. So news of what happened to Allie traveled fast. Uh, She had a large network of friends. She was in a sorority. And here is one of Allie's sorority sisters, to share her first story story. Hi, I am Karen Triple. I was uh, sorority sisters with Allie. Uh, We were in the same pledge class at Kansas State University for Pi Beta Phi. When we, when you rush, rush is very exhausting and tiring and you, you have a week of just trying to figure out where you want to go for the next, you know, three or four years in your college experience. And you get thrown into this group of 
women that most likely you have no idea who they are. And so it's a little scary. And I know for me, it was frightening. I wasn't really thrilled about it. But I do remember interacting with Allie that first night that we were all kind of together. It was midnight and we're all hanging out at the house. And I remember just being um, comforted by her. I was really upset. And I I mean, who knows why? I mean, it's not like it was a big deal, but change is scary. And she was very comforting and such a sweet, um, just a sweet human being with nothing but love and warmth. And it exuded her. And you just wanted to be in the same room with Allie. You wanted to be around her. You wanted to get to know her more. And it really was comforting for a person who was a little bit scared to be around all these brand new people um, that you, you didn't know and you were all of a sudden supposed to be best friends with. So it was great to have connected with her definitely that first night. And then, you know, the rest of the year is us just getting to know each other, going to um, chapter meetings, and we have these pledge classes. We're all learning about Pi Phi and um, how it started and whatnot, and it's a super fun, exciting time. But also, Allie and I were in the same dorm. She was, I believe, a floor above me, and we also had a class together as well. And so we would share notes and study. She would always, I remember, leave me sweet notes on my whiteboard outside of the dorm room and just say, hey, I hope you had a great day. We'll see you a chapter tonight, you know, something like that. And it was just overall a great person to know. It wasn't very long after, it was like a month or something after we had left college and I had come home to my parents' house and I walked in the door and I remember them watching the news and they just turned and looked at me and my mom said, I don't know, something to the effect of something happened to one of your sorority sisters and I was like, what are you talking about? And then they just turned up the news, and I mean, it was all over the place, and it was, they were just describing what had happened, well, what they knew at that point, and that they didn't know what happened or who did it, or it it was kind of this, we just didn't know what was going on, other than the fact that she was murdered. There wasn't a lot of information, because I don't know that they really had any. So it was definitely frightening, because you're in this area, down the street, basically, and you have no clue if this is something that's going to happen again. Um, you're terrified for your friends that that just happened. You're terrified for your other friends that live really close to her. You're terrified for yourself. It's, in general, quite shocking and scary. I remember being in, in shock. And, um, you know, I thinking about it then, you know, you, you hear about a father finding their daughter in that way and you know that it's horrific and you know that that's a horrible horrible thing and you feel just saddened by it but now thinking about it as a mom of of two young kids and thinking about them being a little bit older and me finding them in that way I honestly I couldn't imagine it I would have just crumbled to the floor I I cannot believe that he was even able to wake up the next day. He is unbelievable in how he has handled himself, but it was terrifying to think about in that sense, especially now as a mom. So in conjunction with the paramedics arriving, of course, the police arrive also because everything is pointing to homicide at this point. So as soon as they get there, they learn that at some point during the day, Ali's friend Laurel had come to visit her at the pool. And Allie had asked her friend Laurel to, saying, you know, it's not going to be that busy today. The weather's not supposed to be nice. Why don't you come visit? But when she arrived, there was no sign of Allie. And she also noticed that there were very few people there because of the weather. But she did notice a maintenance worker there. But she left. She didn't, you know, think anything that weird of it. She thought maybe the pool was just closed. Maybe she could leave, whatever. But she did tell the police about this man that she saw loitering around. And she described him as being in his 30s, about 5'10", having short brown hair, kind of balding, a heavy set, and was driving a 1980 to 1982 Ford truck that was either light blue or beige. She couldn't really remember. So please took note of this. I mean, is this someone? Could be someone. It could not be. But at this point, too, it's like they hadn't ruled out family. She has a boyfriend. They hadn't done any of that. So this is very preliminary. And her friend Laurel was probably the last person that she ever talked to. Presumably, I don't know 
when she told Laurel to come by to visit. I mean, it could have been the day before or whatever. Probably her family was the last people, but I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe she made a call to her boyfriend, Phil. Yes, she did. But I don't know that he answered. He didn't. So I think I'm not sure who the last person she talked to was. Yeah, she did. She made a call to Phil. Right. And he didn't answer. He didn't answer. And it, it it still haunts him. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is so horrible. I can't imagine. I mean, everybody in Allie's life, you know, it's a small community and people are finding out and going to the scene and attention is being drawn to the scene in this tiny neighborhood. And there's kind of chaos and the police are trying to take sort of inventory of of who's at the scene and who needs to be questioned. So then there is this guy named Ted Hoover. And this is as the police are there and the scene is kind of... Yeah, yeah, The scene's a commotion. There's a bunch of people They're putting caution tape everywhere. It's It's a big thing. Right. There's this guy named Ted Hoover who arrived at the scene saying that he saw all the police commotion and he wanted to check out what was going on as people One do. does. And Ted ended up matching the description of the maintenance man that Laurel had described just very recently. Ted Hoover explained that he was in the area because he owned a pool cleaning business and he was hoping to take this new pool as one of his new clients. So police wondered if Ted could be involved and they asked him if he'd be willing to give a DNA sample in order to clear him. He considered it, but then declined and said that he had to speak with his lawyer and he'd be in touch with them soon, which does happen. Like, that's not that sketchy, no. is it? Yeah. No. Because people, especially, I mean, if you're like a random and I think passerby. Maybe at this point, it was kind of like this guy came later. We're probably asking everybody here. Right. This is probably something that happened close to home. I mean, they hadn't ruled out the family. It's probably like they're just asking everyone. Right. Hey, want to want to rule yourself out? Like, we're going to ask you eventually. Right. So then he ends up vanishing. And the police never hear from him. And they can find no record of a man with this name at all. So they end up obviously determining that Ted Hoover must be an alias. But luckily, they did know this guy's lawyer's name. So they asked him to disclose the location or true identity of Ted Hoover. But the lawyer refused to disclose any information about his client. And is that that's legal to do? Yeah. You can just I mean, they, it or wasn't like he was there was a there's not a yeah, warrant no out reason. for him. Yeah. It's like they were just like he's a person of interest. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, if you didn't take his ID or or do the diligence, like and if he's not under arrest, I'm not yeah. beholden to do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's really strange, too, as you will discover um the fact that the, the whole lawyer's name thing which which we'll get into in a second so Allie had a boyfriend named phil when this happened so they wanted to question phil house who was a kansas university senior who had dated Allie for five years before her attack at that pool he was completely distraught um again you know he knew about the, the phone call um he wondered maybe there was a you know she was calling him for help and he he wasn't there there's nothing he could have done he was immediately cleared of any involvement and almost immediately the family and anybody in the family was cleared, but they did have that DNA in the case. So it was going to be easy to clear individuals who weren't involved. So the autopsy on Allie revealed the extent of her injuries. She had signs of defensive wounds. Her left index finger was broken. She had black eyes, cut lips. Her fingers were cut as well. She had bruises on her knees, thighs, and hips, as well as a head injury and signs of manual strangulation. And ligature strangulation. And ligature strangulation, too. And the autopsy indicated that Allie likely fought hard for her life for upwards of 15 minutes. And when this happens, somebody was strangling her, probably started with manual strangulation, Mm -hmm. got up, saw that she thought he had done the job, thought, um, then looked back and saw her moving, probably tried again, maybe hit her over the head again, um, and then got a ligature because it's a pool room. They've got a bunch of different ropes and things like that. So, you know, obviously this is devastating for the family. Allie's dad, Roger, said in a media interview, for weeks I had to fight just to get out of bed, but I had to keep going, not just for Allie, but for our family. In um, in the sorority, we have usually like mom's weekend and dad's weekend. And this particular, it was our first dad's weekend for our dads to come up. And we had a golfing tournament that particular weekend. And it was just kind of a fun way to have the dads get to know the sorority and um, get to know everybody else. And so we, my father and I were actually paired up with Allie and Roger. And it 
was just the most fun. I mean, I am not a golfer. Allie was, I don't think Allie was a golfer. I don't remember, but it was just fun. And we were goofing off. And when we left, I remember my dad saying, what a loving, fantastic family they are. Because they were, it was just, it could have been an awkward situation. You're paired up with a a father and a daughter you don't know very well. and, And they made it so comfortable. And we had a blast. And it was just, um, definitely very memorable. Just a neat experience for sure. So, Allie, of course, after the autopsy and after they collect all the evidence that they need to collect, a, a funeral was planned. And she was remembered by everyone who loved her. And it was many, many people. I mean, you just examine her funeral for one thing. There, I've never to this day been to a bigger funeral in my life. There was, I think, something like 1,400 people there. So she clearly impacted a lot of people within her short life right there in just the community. So clearly I wasn't the only one that thought how amazing she was. She was a phenomenal human being and you could see it in how many people came to pay her tribute. So at the service, people remembered Allie for the wonderful person that she was. She graduated from Blue Valley North in May of 2001. She loved high school. She was chosen as a student ambassador, was on the student council, played varsity soccer, was a member of the National Honor Society, where she was elected sergeant of arms and was a co-president of Future Business Leaders of America her senior year. She did 10 times more More shit than than I could even dream of. Mm -hmm. She was elected to the sweetheart court her junior year. And as much as she loved high school, she also loved college. She had completed her freshman year and she did well her first year and was enjoyed invited to join the honors program at K-State, as well as the National Society of Collegiate Scholars. She was an ac- academic scholar in the School of Human Ecology and a leadership scholar. She finished her first year in the top 10% of her class. And while at K-State, she played intramural soccer and basketball. She loved soccer and poetry. She was voted the nicest girl in the eighth grade. In high school, she was so involved, they made an exception to the number of times your picture could show up in the yearbook. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so fucking sad. I think looking back, I definitely, after this happened, we all around us were very aware of our environment now. We're like, is it going to happen to us? What's going to happen now? Is he around still? Is he a neighbor? Does he live next to me? Is he down the street? You just don't know. So you kind of tense up and you just kind of are aware of everything and, and skeptical, skeptical of everybody that you interact with for sure. And then now, you know, I, I try to think back at, do I continue to do that? I don't want to look at people I don't know. I keep my head down. I don't want to smile at them. I don't want them to think anything that I make. I, I don't know. I'm just a little bit more wary of my environment. And it probably has a lot to do with, you know, Allie and what happened to her, for sure. Um, just as a woman in general. And then now on top of it, one of your sorority sisters is murdered. So definitely more aware. So as Allie's family and friends are mourning, the cops are investigating and putting a theory together. And the theory was around the assumption that her murder had been a crime of opportunity. It was raining that day. No one was using the pool. And that's when she was likely approached by an unknown man. The man somehow got her into this pool pump room, this maintenance room, then beat her and strangled her and covered her with these tarps. So... The police, Allie's family, used the media to appeal to the public for help. And a sketch of this Ted Hoover person was made and released and was displayed across news stations everywhere. And they also stated that the killer may have had wounds from Allie defending herself based on just a lot of the autopsy findings. And on August 12, 2002, there was a candlelight vigil held for Allie and hundreds of her loved ones came out to mourn the loss of her. And it's not surprising given how many people went to her funeral. Allie's dad, Roger, however, vowed to bring his daughter's killer to justice. They weren't just going to, he wasn't going to accept, oh, the attorney won't give you his real name. Right. You know, I can't imagine the, the fury oh my God. of that yeah. from his perspective. So 
he was heartbroken and he in in his sorrow came up with this novel idea and he was armed with this police composite sketch of this white male suspect and he went to Lamar Advertising which is a local firm who kind of controlled the billboards in the area and he wanted to put up wanted billboards in town and when the owner of the advertising company heard Roger's story he was moved and he decided to just donate the use of these billboards towards Roger's cause in trying to bring his daughter's murderer to justice. And once the billboard was up, it was estimated that 50,000 individuals a day would, would see these billboards. And, and good on Lamar Advertising for no, doing that. No, that's so great that that guy did I that. I mean, as, as somebody that spends a lot of money on advertising to try and find um, uh, criminals using, using social media, probably given Mark Zuckerberg it's probably up to thirty thousand dollars now. I would love Mark Zuckerberg to say, "Hey, uh, we want to yeah, change our we'll image. Here's a million, a million dollars. Out. That'd right. be really good. I could solve a lot of murders that way." Though, but um, you know, this is this Wait, is great. That's actually crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should just give that resource. It'd be, it'd be it would be wonderful. And I, I have asked. <laughs> really? <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> to a big fat no. To well, you know. I'm sure there's no real customer service at Facebook. Th- right? Actually, you know, it's, it's very hard to get anybody on the phone at Facebook. I'm sure it's Seriously. the same with Uber. Yeah. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. So 
So um, America's Most Wanted also covered the case, and uh, Roger arranged for advertisements in USA Today. So the case was everywhere and was just being displayed very prominently in the public eye. And on February 11th, 2003, the police get their break that they have been waiting for. Someone called in a tip and gave the police the name of a 27-year-old named James Strader from Utah. He was picked up by police after getting gas and driving off without paying for it, which I didn't even realize that you could do. I think back in the day, you this could. This isn't that far back in the 2002? day. 2002? You can just... Yeah, I think you'd be like, mm-hmm. fill it up, especially at no, but- a, a full service. Yeah. Oh, maybe at a full service. You know, it's like, oh, put 20 in there and yeah, then just totally. peace out. And then just drive away. Right. Bad move, dude. Well, this was 2003, but yeah. still. Uh, so when the police in Utah pulled him over, they learned that this guy had an outstanding warrant in Missouri and Kansas, and they weren't just for petty crimes. He was facing allegations of rape and aggravated kidnapping. The attack of all... The attack involved a woman who said that she was his former girlfriend, and she said that he came to her home, raped her at knife point, and then forced her to ride with him to an area like near the Ozarks. Dude, that is so terrifying. The, it's like the wilderness. Like, oh, you're for sure going to kill me. Oh, yeah, I'm and sure she me. thought that he was going to be killed. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't stop there. So he was also charged with raping a 14-year-old girl on that very same day. Oh, my God. And he was looked at at as a a suspect for another kidnapping that happened a week earlier. Now, the Leawood Police Department, and they were the the department that were handling Allie's case, they took an interest in Strader after getting that tip about him on their hotline. And he did look like the composite of the man seen loitering around the pool pump room on the day that she was killed. Uh, They were able to pinpoint that Strader was actually in the KC area during the middle part of June of 2002 which coincided with Allie's murder. Casey's Kansas City. And the Kansas Bureau of Investigation uh, so, uh, scheduled straighter for an extradition hearing. The police brought him in for questioning. Allie's family members were on the edge of their seats. This could be their guy. Right. So you can imagine everybody's super excited. We could be like, you know, their daughter's killer of this, this the perpetrator of this heinous crime is walking free. So imagine the crushing of disappointment they must have felt when they learned that despite all of these potential connections the dna was not a match the dna found at the crime scene so this was not their guy i think through the summer you keep hearing about it you want to make sure that this guy is caught but they're not catching him you feel a little upset you feel angry you're like what's happening you get to school and then we have to go through Rush on the other side of Rush this time. We're a part of sorority, but we don't have one of our girls with us. And that, that's upsetting. That's depressing. You know, we tried to make sure she was a part of Rush, and we did a lot of um, just little things for her to be there with us because we knew how excited she was to see that side of Rush. I, it was so long ago that it's hard to think about what I did to help with that process, but I'm not so sure that I did a whole lot, you know? Didn't really have a lot of the resources when you're 20 to figure it out. Her dad, like I said, he got up and championed for her do- for his daughter and made sure that nobody stopped looking for her killer, made sure that everybody knew how amazing she was and how we needed to find this human that took his daughter from us. And it, it, it was just incredible to see someone be so strong in such a horrible situation. And it was definitely Roger that kept that going and kept her memory alive for sure. So soon after this, the police received two different tips. One of them was able to reveal the real name of Teddy Hoover, which was Benjamin Appleby. And the other tipster was able to reveal where he lived, which were, which was in Connecticut. So they pull over Benjamin Appleby's record and learn that there are a slew of charges against him and he has a checkered past. It's pretty, pretty bad. He's been charged with risk of injury, public indecency, masturbation in public, assault, armed robbery, burglary, sexual misconduct. The list goes on and on and on. He looked like he could be involved, but everyone was cautious about the disappointment of their previous person of, of interest because it's kind of the same They're kind of guy. cautiously optimistic. Yeah. And right. you know, talked about this a lot, at least on, on Golden State Killer, on Unmasking a Killer, Paul Holes was like, 
I wasn't looking at it like I've been excited a million times. Absolutely. That you just gotta assume like, that it's probably wrong. Yes, because he's like, This is my guy, this is my guy. And then And even with the DNA too, and that was different because he had he had gone on a wild goose chase with the DNA stuff. Mm-hmm. As many wild goose chases that he went on with the homework and all that other stuff. He had just gone on one and Col- and had in just another state, in, right? Yeah, the one in Oregon. Yeah. And then when he was got this one, it was like, Okay, fine, and then And you're like disheartened. You're like, yeah, Ah, exactly. I can't get my hopes yeah. up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, so once police received this tip about Appleby, they learned that there was an outstanding warrant out for his arrest from 1997. And this is always a good thing because like, okay, you do a a search for this guy and they're able to be like, oh, wow, there's a warrant for him. So now they can go and pick him up, which is great. State police pick him up and they learn that he was living with a girlfriend under the name of, you guessed it, Teddy Hoover II. And Teddy Hoover II actually was a, um, a boy a friend from of there, his, friend of his who, who had died. passed away. Yes. Oh, yes. So it's kind of like some doctor. And he took the shit. second yep. too. That's weird. He like so, adopted his dead friend's name. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah, that's so creepy. So he was arrested by the Connecticut authorities on November eighth, two thousand four. And when he was initially taken into custody in Connecticut, he said he wanted a lawyer. He was then extradited to Kansas City. And once he arrived in Kansas and he spoke to his mother and his mother is like, you know what? They're just going to give you a crappy lawyer. Just they said that they didn't have enough money for just go ahead and cooperate and confess. And this murderer is such this mama's boy (laughs) that he spills it and he's held on a million dollars bail. All right. And this is something just I want to talk about in which I was talking to Karen about Ali's sorority sister is that. It's incredible that a guy like this could have such anger towards women where he sees a woman and she's, you know, and kills her in an opportunistic fashion. And then has such a good relationship with his mother and living with a fiance who doesn't have any idea. It just it scares me. It's double life. It scares me. It's even more terrifying than somebody that is so fucked up. But it's also the fact that maybe, you know, the mother was constantly telling him what to do. Yeah. And he's always going to follow that. Maybe. It's just crazy. It just scares me that like you're you can be nice to some women but kill other ones. Yeah, but uh, that makes sense from Billy though. Well, and, like, most maybe killers like... turn into these they have domineering mothers. Yeah. So anything's possible. My mom called me and told me they got him in I don't remember was it November of 04 and like I said I was down here in Florida doing an internship it was a relief if anything you know this kind of like okay you know and i was out of kansas so clearly i wasn't in, well i mean i don't know i mean serial killers go around the whole world so you never know but i it was just a big relief that they found this guy and that somebody was gonna you know be tr- tried for this horrible murder and Allie was gonna get you know some kind of I just it was it was it was great news but also it brought up some memories if you know what I mean like it it was exciting but also makes your stomach turn a little bit and you start thinking about it again all right so Benjamin Appleby what do we know about this psychopath Benjamin Appleby attended Tonganoxie High School in Kansas during part of his sophomore year and juniors in the high school. And we could only find select information about him. And he's not that important. So we didn't spend a ton of time on this because fuck him. Yeah. So I'm just, what was easy to find is what I'll include. I don't know where he was before that. In his 1991 yearbook, Albie's sophomore year, he's pictured in a group, in group photos of the wrestling team and also the industrial arts club. And I think it's interesting to mention that he was a stocky dude. Mm-hmm. He was stocky and strong and a wrestler yeah and probably very very difficult to fight off hypothetically so appleby's father lived in texas and he too as in benjamin appleby was living there during the time of ali's murder and i was i found this when we were doing research and i found it on a sort of a pro boards information trading thread and there was a girl who posted about it, and I just want to read what she said. So she said, I have a story of my own about this fucker. He sat behind me in history class in 1992. He kept teasing me, touching my hair, my neck, my back, making suggestive comments, etc. 
I finally got so fed up that I turned around and yelled, if you don't stop touching me, I'm going to haul off and clock you. So like this girl was so creeped out yeah. when yeah. she, cause she had just said it was this whole, and he'd just, he'd been inappropriate with he women was weird since and the beginning. Violating and, yeah. you know, um, arrogant, you know, arrogant about what he's allowed to do. Felt entitled to women yeah. is how I interpret this. So the Kansas city star outlined his record and included a therapist description of Appleby in a 1996 report. And she probably was very friendly with him. She probably smiled at him and said hello and was trying to be helpful. And then he just decides to take, you know, advantage of his size. Who knows? I mean, just awful. It's, un- I have, I honestly have no clue who would be able to, not, I mean, sure, you hear about people getting raped or hit or whatever it is, but the severity of the way that he beat her is unbelievable. I don't, I can't even fathom that kind of anger coming out of somebody. And it's just a disgusting human being to want to to beat somebody unrecognizably, strangle them, leave them for dead under a tarp. That who, who does that? It doesn't even make sense in my brain. It's 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 horrific, and it doesn't make sense that the women that are with them don't see anything. Like, do you not see any of these behaviors? Are you not paying attention to these behaviors? I mean, I don't know if they're just so in love that they don't see the the harshness behind their eyes. I don't know. I don't understand it. They're, they're, I mean, he's clearly psychotic and he's clearly got something wrong with him. So you would think that his fiance would know that. As a parent, you can only do so much. You can only create an environment and raise him up and teach him as much as you can. Something was wrong with him and there's nothing that she could have done to change him. He's just a psychopath and it was not her fault at all. And God bless her for telling telling him to confess and turn himself in. He's, I, yeah, I mean, I never even thought of it from the, now, because I'm the mom of two boys, I never even thought about it from that perspective of his mom. I mean, I honestly couldn't imagine being the mother of that. I don't even want to call him a human being, to be honest. So the report obtained by the Kansas City Star warned that Benjamin Appleby, then 21 years old, was in a, quote, high-risk position to reoffend and could pose sexual threats. Although most of his criminal history consisted of sexual misconduct involving public masturbation, which is fucking disturbing disgusting and terrifying It's just in a itself. huge... It's like this guy's going to it's gonna He's escalate. gonna escalate, for sure. There's no... Oh, public masturbation? Go fucking home. Like, seriously. Do it at home. Oh, no one wants to see that disgusting shit no, nobody wants to see it he ended up pleading guilty to two 1992 ro- 1992 robberies as well the cases involved the holdups of a donut shop and a convenience store in independence when he was 17 years old and one of the robberies a gunman who was apparently benjamin appleby pointed a shotgun at the head of a clerk and pulled the trigger thankfully the gun didn't fire and years later he told his therapist that the gun had never been loaded I okay but He's like, well, it wasn't loaded, but imagine the life-ruining moment of PTSD. It doesn't that make that it any better, dude. Fucking idiot. Horrible. So the therapist 1996 report depicted Benjamin Appleby as a young man who, quote, has a history of inappropriate alcohol use, anger problems, frequent legal in- entanglements, and appears to be emotionally immature. Um, but it also said that he was intelligent and appeared fairly motivated for treatment to make positive, appropriate changes in his life and his behavior. This all seems kind of very therapisty. Therapist. They're like, oh, he's I don't want to say he's going to be he's... a serial killer, but I'm, I have hope. Yes. So the therapist also depicted him as, quote, pleasant, communica- communicative and cooperative during their 75 minute session. He also held up a convenience store right across the street from a police department. So while in custody, after he's extradited back to Kansas, he, like we all mentioned, confessed. And Appleby told Leewood detectives that he had gone to the pool that day to check it out as a potential client. Who knows if that's true, but that's what he was going with even back in the beginning when he was Teddy Hoover, when he showed up at the scene. He said he found Allie Kemp attractive and tried to hit on her and then lost it when she rebuffed his advance 
and swung at him. So you guys have been hit on before. Yeah. Never. Has anybody, it happens at bars, happens on the street. Yeah. Has anybody ever hit on you in a room where there was nobody else? Not that I can on think of. On the street? No, but he's he means in a situation like this where you're like, there's a door. Like you're stuck in a, an enclosed place with somebody that is inappropriately hitting on you. Where you would be, be fearful. Yeah. If you said no. It hasn't happened to me that I can think of. Not a, not like I don't think so. I mean, maybe like in a like a, at a in an elevator, like in like the laundry room at a party or something. Yeah, maybe like, that. like but, yeah. But there yeah, were other where people kind around, of, yeah. sort of. But and this she was, was by herself. I mean, can you just think of there was? Remember, there was it was raining. There was nobody else at the pool. Yeah, this guy follows her into this room. He's he's waiting for her to do that. He says that he hits on her, um, and then she. You know, she says no. You know, she just get the like, hell away from me. Okay, I have to go now. She probably started like being nice. No, she yeah, she definitely. And like yeah. Karen said, Karen said she would have probably smiled and been nice and tried to. Which, get, by the way, fuck that. No, but like she, it's that's just so annoying that you have to that women feel like they have to act. We that, do, or like, they'll hurt us. I know, but that's like this is this is a prime like I it's know. insane. But yeah. like it's I do that too, where I'm like. Uh-huh. So like do people do something awkward on the street. I'm like, no, thank you. And then when they persist, I'm like, you're making me uncomfortable. And like, you start nice because you don't want somebody to react to yeah. hurt you because you hear stories like this. Yeah. Right. But, you know, he, she rebuffs him. He blocks the door. And then, um, and then what does she do? Does he hit her first? Yeah. And he just, uh, you know, he just lost it, and 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 then just starts swinging at her. Can't handle the fucking rejection. Yeah, like, this is in, this is all just because some piece of shit can't His handle ego is hurt. the rejection. Like, so, yeah. Oh, so he says, "I killed her. I strangled her. I guess I don't know what I used. There was something laying there." And again, what we learned from the autopsy report is that he originally uh, tried to strangle her manually. Um, he, you know, you don't realize how long it takes to actually strangle somebody. She was still alive, and then he kept doing it again and again. So you can just think about that, Ugh. and and how brutal that is. And he also said that he had gone into a first aid kit to get some sort of ointment out to use as a lubricant to late to rape her, but then he couldn't perform. So he just covers her body up with this tarp, and then he leaves. What a fucking disgusting garbage human. Piece of shit. So the police have... And pathetic. Yeah. The police have the confession. They have the people saying, you know, the, the, the ID of him from, um, from the billboard, uh, which led him to that person. But DNA, they did have DNA there and be the final determined. And yes, the DNA was a match. I'll be honest, I don't know if I ever really processed it. If I, you know, I'm thinking about it now as a 20 year old that's happening to somebody that you know. And you know, it was, I'm not even, I wasn't even the closest to Allie by any means. So think about the women and men that went to high school with her, went to college, and the girls that were in my sorority, a lot of them went through all of elementary, middle school, junior high with Allie, and they've known her their whole life. And, just to try to move on from that, I, I can't even imagine. And I know for me, I I don't know that I processed it a lot, to be honest. When Allie's boyfriend, Phil, learned of the arrest after getting a call from his mom, he later said in an interview, quote, it's a bittersweet day. It's a great day because this guy is behind bars now, but that doesn't bring Allie back and we still have to deal with that. We've been waiting for this day for two years. He said that there had been times where he was worried a suspect wouldn't be arrested, but he commended the diligence of the Leewood Police Department and Roger Kemp for keeping his and everyone else's spirits up. So on November 9th, 2004, Appleby was indicted on first-degree murder charges in Johnson County. If convicted, he could face the death penalty. Now, as the trial approached, even though he, they had the confession, even though they had the DNA, Appleby's attorneys just start throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall. And they mount a defense about how he had a bunch of issues. He came from a household where he was abandoned and abused, and things from his childhood were coming up in awful ways. And his lawyer claimed that he had what is called IED, or Intermittent Explosive Disorder, which would 
cause him to go into these crazy fits of rage and he would actually disassociate uh, himself from that behavior. So he's saying that this is what happened. Uh, the prosecutors uh, would fight against that and say, you know what, he clearly tried to, you know, sort of, it was a half-assed attempt, but he cl- tried to hide the body, put the tarp over it. Wait, there was a lot of deliberate actions that, pro- like, right. mal- yeah. deliberate malice actions that proved he planned. It's not like he did this and it's like, oh my God, call the cops, I overreacted. Exactly, yeah. So, and Applebee's lawyers actually didn't even call any witnesses. The jury watched a videotape of Applebee's chilling confession and... They deliberated in less than three hours before finding 31-year-old Benjamin Appleby guilty of capital murder and attempted rape. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. So as for his sentence, during the sentencing hearing, Kathy Kemp, who is Ali's mother, made an impact statement that concluded with, this Christmas Eve, as every Christmas Eve since she died, when other people were in church, I was putting candles on her grave. And I don't go to church anymore. It's terrible. Uh, She said, nothing can be done to make this right. I'm serving a life sentence and I'm never going to be paroled. Appleby then requested to be excused from the hearing. His request was granted by the judge. As Kansas law requires, a judge's approval for a criminal defendant to be absent at such hearings. The absence of Appleby angered Roger Kemp, Allie's father. He said he didn't just murder her. He didn't kill her. He drug the life out of her body because she didn't want to die. And he did it. And he doesn't have the courage to sit here today and hear me tell it. Oh, God. Whew, that, is that is moving chilling oh my god i can't Im- the pain this family went through um so appleby received a hard 50 year sentence which is five decades without the possibility of parole for the murder conviction and initially received 228 months for the attempted rape to be served consecutively however i mean i think this is a little boring but i'll just the nuts and bolts of it is that ended up being overturned, the, ec- the actual extra 228 months because of this legal technicality, because they said it was du- double jeopardy to add 228 months when they used the rape to convict him on first degree murder. Mm. So that's very boring. Legal technicalities. Should he get life without parole? Sure. 50 years. He'll be 81 when he gets out. But getting into the legal back and forth, I'm not going to waste your guys' time with that. Right. But Roger Kemp can finally stand down. I mean, her, his daughter's murderer has been brought to justice. If there is such a thing when a life is stolen, I'm not sure. But in the days and years since Ali's murder, he started teaching basic self-defense classes to girls from all walks of life through a foundation he established in his daughter's name, takedefense.org. And he never stops thinking of Ali. And he says, we thought she was just going to make a difference in this world. Ali Kemp did make a difference, just not in the way I'd imagined. Um, well, when it first started, like when we first, the first year that um, Roger Kemp started that, the Ali Kemp Educational Foundation, we did a, a defense class. So we got to um, basically arm ourselves, which I think what a great legacy to leave for Ali to be able to every year educate women on how to defend themselves if something like this happens. And so definitely a great memory 
um, in her memory to keep for 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 a long time. And now I believe Pi Fi does a they used to call it the Alley Kent Bandstand, and they would have a big like um, concert and party. And now I believe they still do that. And I and I want to say they continue to do the defense class every single year, but also with all the sororities on campus to make sure that everybody's getting the same um, education when it comes to defending themselves. So for sure, I think Pi Fi just really wants to keep her memory alive, especially at Kansas State. Honestly, if you knew her, it's just the worst. There, It couldn't have happened to a better, like she was the best human. There are very few people I come across, even now I'm you know, 37, I haven't come across a lot of people with that good of a heart. My husband, I would say, is one of them, but she was definitely another that you're just like, that's a good human being. But she definitely left a mark. So she's for sure um, just it was a joy to know her for the short period of time that I got to. And since his daughter's death, Roger Kemp has contributed in helping solve crimes all across the country. Inspired by his idea, soon other police departments around the country adopted similar billboards. And to date in Kansas alone, they've already helped authorities capture more than 30 fugitives, which is crazy. No, that's Amazing. great. No, it's you, great. You use those billboards. Everybody should be using them. And you see so many billboards. That's what you should fucking use billboards yeah, for. And you uh-huh. see so many billboards up for movies that are clearly way past out of... Um, uh, they're out of the theaters. There's no reason for those billboards to be up, and it's they obvious have that they, even they just been up in the first place. They just didn't. Well, yeah, we don't need that billboard for the Pokemon movie. But somebody, listen, people got to make money. I understand that. But what they should do is, you know what? If there's a, um, they obviously didn't sell the bell billboard, and yeah. they're leaving up this other stuff. What they should do is just donate it, it to these donate kind of causes. Donate yeah. it. I know. It's. I mean, it obviously works. It's such like a and and the the. The people that did see the billboards, the um, they split it up in a 40-10 split because the person who actually uh, knew the name and knew where they were, that was the more important of the information. But they didn't take the $40,000. They actually donated it to Allie's family, and Allie's family created a scholarship fund in her name. Which is such a wonderful thing to do. Which is great, but I never want... You know what? You never want to sort of shame people. It's great that he did that, but but I never want to sort of put an emphasis on that, that like that's what people should do, because I want people to call in tips and get the reward money. You uh, yeah, I mean, I mean so you, sh- you should use Get the reward the... money if you want it. Use, yeah. it, no, use it if but, you want. But, uh, but Roger Kemp did say to the media, um, when he heard this, he, he was quote unquote floored and said, you know, it just proves how amazing people in Kansas City are. And... You know, there were a couple examples of this in his story in in the advertisers having this altruistic, you know, compassion to donate billboards, which are thousands of dollars. This person, I mean, how kind that they experienced two experiences like that. Yeah, because really people wonderful. are so greedy. People these are days. so greedy. So it's really beautiful. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Um, and despite all the pain that he'll always carry for Roger, who, who received a presidential citizens medal for his work from president Obama, there's solace in knowing that he's helping police take killers off the streets. Like that's so it's great that he turned such a horrific, um, story into something. I think, I think I told you to read the Victor Frankl book a long time, man's search for man's search for meaning and it's all about finding meaning in your suffering and how yeah. healing it can be and it's an amazing example of that so how do you think karen remembers ally and you know i asked her kind of what kind of mark she left on her and if this experience kind of changed her and how she's definitely connected with all the other my story sisters in my pledge class so whenever i see them on facebook or instagram i definitely her her face pops in my head and you know I just I try to remember her um, in a positive way and um, just try to um, it's it saddens me because I know that she would have been just the the best human she would have had the the most incredible life she would have been the best mom if she wanted to do that she would have been just a gem in any society that she chose to put herself in and it I'm sad about it but um thankful for the time that a short time that I got to know her and um it's it's usually those moments when I'm you know scrolling through Instagram and seeing everybody's life now we're all in our 30s and we've all moved on and that's usually when she kind of pops in and occasionally if I listen to a podcast that's about a, a crime or a murder she'll pop in my head and um, 
it's it's kind of weird to think like oh yeah I, I guess I do have a connection in in that way to some horrible crime and it's not something you want to have so it I don't know it's just it's a strange feeling it is a strange feeling and I totally understand what Karen's saying being connected to anything like this is surreal and even more surreal for the family members of these people who are affected and, and killed by psychopaths. It's just you, you want the world for your children when something like this happens. I see how Ali's dad was just not going to accept anything but turning this into something sort of beautiful in the name of his daughter. And he was really, really able to do that in a beautiful just way. Being able to turn a tragedy into something that, and not just sort of one thing, doing the scholarship and doing the take defense. Yeah, he did so and, many different um, things. You know, you really got to, when you see, you know, it reminds me of Tim Miller, who runs Texas Equisearch, whose daughter was killed. And um, he he turned that around and now helps people who go missing. And he's helped find a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, and he told me when I was out with him once on a search, he was just like, you know what, whenever I want to give up, I look at her picture and uh, I say, all right, I'll keep going. Oh, so touching. <sighs> it's so touching. And Karen, thank you so much for reaching out with this case we are so happy to cover it i mean the kemp family clearly just like 1400 people at ali's funeral roger kemp going above and beyond and in, in doing this i mean i mean she was obviously adored and cared for so much yes rest in peace ali yeah makes me so sad um yeah thank you karen for reaching out to us and if anybody out there listening in the abyss is connected to a murder or other stranger than fiction story please reach out to us we'd love to tell your story nothing is too small so even if you think your story is insignificant and nobody's ever covered it we would like to cover it um you can dm us on instagram at the first degree at alexis linkletter at billy jensen at Jack Vanek or write us hello at the first degree podcast.com and um, we read every single little thing that is sent our way. Yes. And uh, until next week. Happy Superman Day. Happy Superman Day. It was also happy, like, make sure your um, egg basket is full day. Happy Tom Welling Day. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.